Hello, and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. Today, our guest is Bodhi Starwater, a musician, sound healer, author, and creator of the Soundscape Oasis Experience. Bodhi did start off with music early on, but it was after hearing musician Paul Horn play flute in the Taj Mahal that Bodhi knew at age 15 that the flute would be a lifelong companion. And Bodhi has added many instruments along the way, exotic flutes, conch shell, charango, 12-string guitar, bowls, gongs, drums, feathers, uh, and many instruments uh, made from nature, from the natural world, uh, rattles, harmonica, and many other instruments. And he's been working with sound meditation, sound healing, and sound journeys for over 40 years. Um, he's studied with many people and been influenced uh, with his travels and offerings around the globe. And we do talk about uh, you know, the development of this field. He was really uh, involved in the 70s and 80s when sound healing as a term uh, really came about. And we talk about how this field has changed and developed from then until now. And we uh, focus especially on Bodhi's uh, love for the natural world and how that is so influential in his sound work including a book that he has coming up on sound healing and the five elements. So the approach of playing and sound healing through the five elements and how sound and silence uh, can be a ceremony, uh, the importance of silence. And as Bodhi says, silence is a sound. So we get into a bit of a discussion there. And it's just wonderful exploring uh, Bodhi's background, his influences, his passions. Um, and of course, he has nearly 20 albums and he offers groups and uh, private sound healing journeys as well. So really wonderful, fascinating conversation with Bodhi Starwater. This podcast is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa located in Sarasota, Florida, as well as online at theomshop.com. The Ohm Shop is the country's largest showroom of vibrational tools, crystal bowls, uh, practitioner tools, gongs, drums, all the tools, as, as well as really specialty and custom instruments as well. So if you're looking for something specific, you're looking to up-level your sound healing practice, please do check out the Ohm Shop, whether online or if you can get there in person. They do have trainings as well as a luxury spa. So thank you so much to the Ohm Shop for their support and sponsorship of this podcast. And thank you all for listening and supporting this podcast as well. It continues to be inspiring for me to have these conversations with uh, people of varying perspectives. It's just such a, a rich field that we're in as sound workers. So if you enjoy this episode or this podcast series, which we're coming up on five years, 
please feel free to share episodes, follow, like, subscribe, all the things so these beautiful conversations can um, reach many people. So please enjoy this episode, followed by a meditation with Bodhi Starwater. Okay, fantastic. Well, it's so wonderful to have you here, Bodhi. Thank you so much uh, for saying yes to this conversation. Appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, my pleasure. I, uh, I'm excited to learn more about what you're up to as well. Yeah, thank you. Well, let's start with you first. So let's go back as far as you want. You know, my first question is really, um, how did music come into your life? How did that start for you? I have a very uh, strong memory of being in fourth grade and uh, there was a, a fellow student of mine, a friend of mine who lived nearby and he was playing the trumpet. And I went over to his house. They were English, an English family living in Berkeley, California. And I went over there and he played the trumpet for me and I was I don't know, I just remember being mesmerized and I just ran home and told my parents, I, I want to play the trumpet, I got to play the trumpet. And they had gotten me started on, uh, my great-grandfather played the accordion, and so, and back when I grew up, the accordion was very popular, a lot of accordion academies all over the San Francisco Bay Area, believe it or not. And so I, I had to start playing the accordion, which I didn't like. And then I started, and I had to take piano lessons. That was also required starting in whenever that was, the right around the same time period. So it all kind of exploded all at once. And I don't remember before that what music was in my life because back then, you know, there weren't much. It was like there may have been a record player in the house, but that's it. You didn't have the ubiquity, the ubiquitousness of sound and music that we have now. So I remember very being attracted to the trumpet and then so I was taking trumpet lessons, accordion lessons, and piano lessons every week. And it was just a bit too much. And uh, finally my accordion teacher quit because I wouldn't practice. So that was my tech tactic for not, and you know, I feel sorry for him now, but I, I just was not into the accordion. But I loved the piano and the trumpet. And I did that for like six or seven years. And I was like the first chair trumpet in the orchestra. and. The piano was just playing at home mostly. And then when I was 14, I, I heard the album Inside by Paul Horn, Inside the Taj Mahal. And I just, something just completely lit up. I think that's when my whole, even the sound, the, the concept of sound healing lit up because it was such a sonically beautiful, pure, just the flute in the Taj Mahal, that was it. I mean, just like, whew, amazing. And that was when I said, oh, I want to play the flute. And that's, uh, and so uh, a fellow student in the band, a, a young woman, I remember Chris Reikley was her name, and she had, she was the, she was like one of the good flute players in the, in the orchestra, or I think it was the band. And she was getting a new flute, and she had her old flute. She sold to me for $5, so I got started and me and my buddy would go into the cemetery and we'd pull down the palm, the fronds from, or the big, you know, palm trees have those sides that, where they cut the fronds and then they become big brown and we would make xylophones out of them. 
and we'd play we play palm frond xylophone and flute in the cemetery for that was so that was how I started getting into free form music. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting because you know a lot of your music uh, now um, incorporates the sounds of nature and natural instruments. So that actually came about pretty early then. Yeah. Yeah, the connection with nature has always been super strong. My my obsession with being outside in the woods and uh, from very young age and even as a teenager. And then I started training as a wilderness guide as a teenager. And I trained as a wilderness river guide, as a wilderness backpack guide. And I became a wilderness leader for about 25 years. I was working and I'd always bring music in and I'd always be like making natural instruments. So let's make a shaker out of the leaves. Let's make, let's get a soda pop can filled with rocks and make a shaker. And we'd make like these natural orchestras when we're out in the woods and make, you know, sticks on logs. And we'd have a whole, you, you know, had a whole shamanic orchestra right there. And so I've been doing that a long time. <laughs> I'm still doing that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really beautiful. So your connection to nature and then the flute, the flute in particular, um, really kind of seemed to to win your heart and soul over as the instrument of choice for for quite a long time even though you use other tools um so how did your musical career after go after you know school and things like that what were you doing as a musician well i started in high school playing with another musician his name was michael stillwater and he's a singer songwriter does he was doing chanting but back then we were both young and we were playing together flute and guitar and doing all the current pop songs and rock songs of the time and doing this going out and playing places for fun and and so pretty much quickly then he went away and really got into the spiritual world of chanting and that world and I went into uh, I went into more studying. I went to college and started studying classical music and jazz. I got a, I got a degree in jazz and uh, jazz improvisation theory and also studied classical music quite seriously on the flute. And all along I was working in folk bands. So it was like a combination of playing, studying all this hoity-toity music, but I was on the weekends, I was always at some folk festival or some folk club, you know, listening to folk singers, playing my flute along with all with the folk songs and, and also, you know, Celtic music. And I was just, I was obsessed with world music and studying all kinds of world music, old blues songs and old shamanic African music. And, you know, I back then is when I discovered a uh, long time, that was in the 70s, all during the 70s, 1970s, and I really discovered then the power and the universality of the pentatonic scale. That's, and so in some ways I've been preparing for this sound healing journey all my life and been involved in it in one way or another. And so it, commercially I would do what was happening for them was the way to make money was playing in a, in a cover band and making money singing the pop songs and stuff like that. And uh, sound healing was just happening, but very, very. Studying with Stephen Halpern, he was teaching courses at my college in improvisation. And so I, I was in all these people I would know, but the sound healing element didn't come in until the 1980s for me when I 
actually created a sound healing duo with Tibetan bowls, gongs, conch shells. I had my shells, you know, like had this, all these. <laughs> So I've been playing with those my whole life and it just started to and the new age music came in and that was like a like a spin-off of sound healing and now they've kind of merged in my estimation. Yeah. So, you know, since we're kind of on that topic and with Stephen Halpern um being one of the in my understanding being one of the first people to use the term sound healing, you know, so 70s into the 80s, um, and now your involvement in it, how many years later, um, what has changed in the field, or, or how do you see the field now as opposed to when you were immersed in it in the, in the 70s and 80s? Well, it's one obvious change is the... Uh the embracing of it by the mainstream it's 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 ubiquitous it's everywhere now it's omnipresent it's everybody every other person i meet has a crystal bowl and they're a sound healer so in some ways it's a little bit overwhelming and, and a little bit like well okay well maybe a little more training might be nice but at the same time it's also beautiful that it's been embraced and it's coming back because i mean i don't know what I'm not much into past lives and things like that, but I have many friends who are, and I've done past life readings just for fun. And three different past life regressions, they've all said to me independently over the years that I was a sound healer in Atlantis. And so, I, you know, I didn't really, I don't take it too seriously in some ways, but I also go, well, that's pretty synchronistic that they all three said that. And, and, you know, the whole Atlantean thing and, and how real or not that is, it's, it's all certainly energetically. I know that the concept of sound and the power of sound is nothing new. It's been around for forever, right? I mean, even, you know, Joshua fit the balls of, fit, wait, well, Joshua fit the walls of Jericho. He blew down the walls of Jericho with horns, right? By, by with vibration shattered the walls. So... And, you know, and the whole thing of sound, they even talk about sound, possibly building some of the temples and using that for levers. So there's this, there's this thread of, of, of ancient awareness of sound. And now it's like, because of the consciousness and the awakening of people on the earth, there's, of course, sound is going to be a part of it because vibration is everything. And the awareness of that starts to seep into your, and it makes sense. It just makes sense in a, in a kind of uh, esoteric yet also accessible way. And so it's the main difference I see now is just the ubiquity of it. It's everywhere. You can call yourself a sound healer and you can work. I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, I mean, that's, I'm working a lot right now. And it's, it's really, it's great because it's the kind of music I've always loved the most and you know, playing in in nightclubs and bars and and rock and roll music was not really ever my thing, but it was all around me and it was kind of fun and it was a scene. But inside my heart, there was always this awareness of a different calling. So after your your time, you know, playing in bands and um, clubs and all these things. Um, 
when did some sound healing um take center stage how did how did that happen yeah good question well i had I, it was center stage for about five years in the 80. I had taken a break from all that and I had uh, I had formed this duo with a woman who had a beautiful set of Tibetan bowls and we made an album called Cloud Etchings, which uh, was very popular in yoga studios all over the country for a number of years back when cassettes had a life. And so I had this, so I would we would play these psychology conferences and meditation you know all night meditations and we had a so i had a run there in the 80s of about five years when sound healing was really what i was doing and making meditation albums because new age music was starting to take off and meditation music was happening and yoga music was starting to happen so i had a run there of a few years back then and then what happened is I got the, the whole kind of uh, soft jazz came in and mixed with new age music and new age music got more of a beat and got more like of a blend of a synthesis. We used to call it new age pop jazz reggae funk fusion. And so we had this band and so I got into that, made a couple albums, got a record deal, toured the country a few times and started getting into that genre because it was just so much fun to play, you know, Shadow Facts, Andreas Volenveter, Oregon, uh, Jean-Michel Jarre, Tangerine Dream, you know, there was a whole explosion, a mix of jazz, electronic music, and new age all came together. So that was a beautiful time. And then something, I don't, I had about a run of seven years of that. And then I actually just quit music for a few years because I was frustrated with the business and and for whatever reason, I went different direction for about five years. I got into into health food and stuff like that. But then it came back and I started coming back into music a little bit. And I think the awakening really for me when I really landed like, okay, sound healing is when I met Tito La Rosa about five years ago. I was already starting to do it. I was going to sound healing events and I saw friends doing it and I'm going, my God, it's amazing they're doing now what I was doing in the 80s, they're doing the same thing. Tibetan bowls, gongs, and flutes, right? Exactly the same thing. I said, wow, this is great. It's, it's coming back, you know, my favorite kind of music. And then when I met Tito, uh, something, I, what I say, what I say in my book, I said, I dedicated the book to Tito. He awakened in me what I already knew. And so all those beautiful instruments, all those, we're back to those earthy natural instruments, pan pipes and shakers and feathers and, and leaves and ocarinas and bells and, and this whole beautiful sonic universe that I just love. And it was like, okay, wow, this is, this is cool. I can actually go back and find all these instruments that are packed away in this suitcase and that closet and, I brought them all out and 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 I and I put them all together and got on my ukulele and then it was like all of a sudden it was like oh wow man I have a, a sound healing orchestra and that was probably about five years ago so what would that be 2018 2017 kind of woke up again like okay this is what I've always wanted to do this is what I'm doing. And I've always been a music teacher. I've supported myself many, many decades teaching music. 
And now I'm doing a lot of teaching sound healing, actually, which is people are excited about because you can bring in the music, but you can also bring in this aspect of healing and awareness and tension. Start bringing in the principles of sound healing into the music. And so that's where it shifted, I think, for me to come back into this awareness. And it's, it's right now, it's, it's like a wave. I feel like it's rock and roll in the 60s. Everybody wanted to be in a rock and roll band and everybody was in a band and everybody was playing and there were millions of rock and roll bands everywhere and and now there's just a thousand sound healers everywhere. It's just kind of a similar right. time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It is a trend. It's a huge blossom, but it's also a huge need right now. It's a, it's a need for people to to have a modality like this. Well, yeah. So it's interesting what you're saying about your music and how things converged. And you can really hear that in your albums from the, the past five years. You know, I'm thinking in particular of Stillwater Canyon. Oh, I love that Green. one. That's, a little, that's great. That's one of, you know, yeah, that's one of my favorites. And, you, and you, you think about how you're integrating nature and the bird call and the babbling brook. And then you go to like Deep Dream where you have nature sounds, but you also have like a drum kit and you have a groove on some of the songs. So I hear yeah. all your influences kind of merging into this amazing sound stream. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What a great perception. Thank you for mm. picking up mm -hmm. on that. That's exactly how it happened. Yeah. 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 You know, and I think that brings us to what you do bring into your approach, which is the five elements. Uh, so let's talk about that. And that's unique to the way that you teach. And I think unique to your um, philosophy, but also your music is the approach of playing and the approach of sound healing through the five elements. So will you talk a little bit about that? I also know you have an upcoming book about that. So let's, let's talk about that in particular. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's my current project here. This is just to the mock-up here. There's nothing in the middle yet, but it's, it's, it's good. Together. Nice. Yeah. It's coming together. And uh, I really, I, and I have charts. I do a lot of teaching charts. I do like, I make things like the matrix of the keys and the chords. And, and I teach about the binaural beats and I teach about the overtone series, all the different principles of sound healing. So it came to me, I'm not sure exactly the moment but I've been working with the elements for a long time in studying. I think it probably, my awareness started of it many, many years ago. I, I studied with the Sioux Indian teachers, native, native teachers, Rainbow Hawk and Wind Eagle. They were a couple that were teaching the council teachings with the medicine wheel. And the medicine wheel is popular in many cultures around the world. So you've got the directions, you have the elements and every, seems like many medicine wheels around the planet they use different elements in different directions and they use different colors and they use different associations so it's not doesn't it's not like a fixed this is how it is it's a very uh flexible flowing fluid evolving awareness depending on where you live on the planet if you're in a tropical area it's very difficult than than the arctic you know the north pole so this whole idea of the elements though i've always really loved how there's something about the elements and the nature has always drawn me being a wilderness guy being aware of the elements is you know you're very aware of the cold and the hot the wet and the dry the uh 
the air, the wind in the trees, you're aware of the elements because you have to pay attention to make sure you're okay, you're safe. And the animals and, and all this thing. So I don't remember exactly when it merged into the sound healing. There was probably five or again, four or five, five, six years ago, of course, working with Tito, he doesn't really use the elements so much, but it's very elemental the way he teaches. Somehow I I've been I've been using the circle. I've been doing this circle awareness of, I've drawn so many charts because I'm always trying to gather my thoughts into some kind of presentable form to teach. I love teaching. It's one of my favorite things. And so having a way to keep track of all of the information for myself, circles and charts is some way that I have been able to get that. So I'll have qualities of the directions and qualities of the elements like uh, and so a few years ago, I, I put it down. I just started writing down the elements and I started designing a course based on music and the elements and it started to gel more and more. And it was like, oh, this is a fun. So I'm basically in a way arbitrarily creating a container in order to teach what I know because you can teach the same thing from many different perspectives. So I just found for me, it's a really nice way to, to contain it for myself, giving a direction, and then also knowing that it's not always like a straight line. You can start anywhere in a circle and you're in a circle and you come back to the circle. You can go any which way and like in a sound healing, you're not going to say, oh, I have to use the air and this instrument's the earth. You know, every instrument has qualities of each element, maybe more weighted in one direction. And so I started just, just intuitively designing this around the air in the north, the earth in the west, the fire in the east and the water in the south. And those were the, and then the center was the center was the ether. You know, that's where it all starts with where everything exists, the quantum field of all possibility. And I, and that felt like that just belonged to the voice and the drone. So I call, so, so I started as a starting place, the voice and the drone, just the purest place you can start with. You can just, yeah, any kind of chanting, any kind of noise with the mouth, the vowels, okay, well, that's where it all starts. And then it just naturally flowed into the rattle and the fire and the rattle and the gong for the clearing and the fire and the purification and the burning up of all the, that's no longer useful. And then flowing into the opening of the water, there's the purification of the water and the, and the flowing energy and the, the, the gongs and the bells, the Tibetan bowls and the ocean drum, of course, because Tibetan bowls are beautiful because they really send out a wave which you can see in water, the wow, wow, you can really feel it. And if you put water inside a Tibetan bowl, you can really see the waves do beautiful things. And then it just naturally went to the earth grounding, the drum, didgeridoo, the grounding earthy instruments. And then it naturally goes to the feather and the flute in the north or the air and the, and the mind, you know, it's the mind and the heart, all the different things. You get into the directions and the elements, you can go everything. I mean, astrology goes there, the five, the five, you know, the the five Ayurvedic, the five elements. You go into the chakras. You go into. I mean, it just becomes. I had to narrow it down and narrow it down. And say, okay, we're not going to go there in this book because 
I want to just keep focused. I had to keep cutting things out and cutting things out. They were just going to deal with the sonic aspect of the elements in my experience and my, uh, and it's somebody can take it and run with it and change it, but it's a starting place. I call it a starting place to begin the conversation because writing a book is about entering, entering the literary conversation and opening up the doors to communicate with people as a starting place. It's really just a starting place to begin the journey of learning together, creating a container. So that's in a roundabout way how the elements started coming in. And the more I work with it, the more fun it's becoming. <laughs> it's just really, and then when I, when I designed this cover, it's like, oh my God, this is like, it's so, the whole thing is like, I had this designer do this and it's like it starts in the darkness and the light in the darkness. And then it comes up and it comes to, you know, the, the chakra, the famous chakra colors, right? Red, orange, yellow, when they go first chakra, second chakra. I mean, I was doing that in the 70s. We were listening, we were watching a film and listening to tones and, you know, doing chakra raising while we were <laughs> sound healing. And so it rises up and, and then this is the light. My, my work is just bringing into the light. And the person sitting here, they're experiencing this opening and then it can go up into the cosmic worlds or it can stay in the earth. And it was, it's just really, it, it, it really modeled for me, like it, it kind of felt like a visual. Not explanation, but a visual. Uh, representation. Representation, thank you, of, of, of my work. And so, so it's just become more and more fun as I, drop into it and as a starting point for the conversation yeah and i love your subtitle there you know it's oh, yeah. not just a, it's not just about sound the vibration but it's ceremony too yeah. and yeah, yeah. um yeah so it's it's really putting uh well reminding us that this is a sacred experience too right it's not just creating sounds it's the purpose and the, and the process. And so I love the, the sonic ceremony part of what you've included there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's very much a part because of course, all ceremonies use music. Most ceremonies have some form of music, whether it's a plant medicine ceremony or whether it's a church ceremony or whether it's a wedding ceremony or a memorial ceremony, or whether it's a ritual for connecting with your ancestors, there's always sound of some kind whether it's a shofar or whether it's a bell or whether it's a Tibetan horn, you know, or whether it's a, a rattle or whether it's a Swiss horn, you know, all those big ass things. It's like, there's always sound in ceremony. And then you realize, well, the sound is really an important part of the ceremony. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and silence too, you know, when absolutely. you consider, when you consider, you know, the influences of ceremony and music, but also these aspects where we're talking about nature and natural vibration, if you go out and listen to nature's sound healing with birds and, and crickets, there's all this sparkle of the space in between. So well, I love that the sparkle. Oh, I'm going to write that down. Yeah, that just <laughs> sparkle of the yeah, because it's not just the the hum of the crickets or the babbling brook. There's all these different textures and, and layers that's happening in between those sounds. So 
you know, someone that's like you, that's so immersed in, in nature and your creation, what do you feel of the importance and the, and the role of silence, right? Not just sound, but silence. Well, I could, there's a lot of aspects to that for sure. Uh, of course, what I loved about Tito and the first quote in the book, every chapter has a quote and the first quote is from Tito. Silence is the mother of all sound. And so that to me, and uh, so my latest quote I came up with a couple weeks ago is silence is a sound, right? And then in my first book, I wrote a book called Tao of Music. And uh, there's a whole chapter in there called Quilence because I, uh, I, I really have always wrestled with uh, that and someone was talking about this on the sound healing summit last week, you know, because silence, there is no such thing in silence except in a vacuum. And in a vacuum, when there's no sound, you can really hear your inner sounds. You can hear your heartbeat. You can hear the blood rushing. You can hear the whistle in your ear. You know, the you can ringing. Everything becomes amplified when there's a lack of real sound. So on this planet, we don't really have silence. And so, I, you know, and I was even, I even started an album once called The Silence In Between because that's the place where I, that's where it's all born. That's where it comes back to. So I came up with this, I was actually sitting in a coffee shop. I was reading my book that I was writing. It was partly done and I was working on a chapter. I was kind of working with silence and this little kid came running up to me out of the blue. His dad was sitting over at the coffee shop and he, she, he came ran up to me and he just said, do you want to hear the new word I just made up? And I said, of course. And he said, quiet and then he ran off and I'm like of course quiet and silence it's in between all we really have is quiet when we say silence we mean quiet because there's some there's some hum there's a refrigerator hum there's a cricket there's a bird there's a wind through the trees there's some kind of sound always present in our world no matter how quiet it is so quiet is that place between quiet and silence. You know there's some kind of sound. So I wrote a whole chapter on quiet. And I love that because it helps me to understand. Most people relate to when when you say silence, they just think absence of sound. I know that it's not. So silence is a sound is my I just came up with that a couple of weeks ago. That's going to be a whole element of one of the chapters about listening and about silence is a sound because it's 50-50 very important to have silence be a part of every sonic ceremony. It's, it's, it's kind of obvious once you're there and you study it and it's very not always obvious to most of us who talk too much. I'm certainly have my challenges with that. Yeah, no, I think that's such a great great topic because you're right silence is a, a paradox isn't it and and also gosh I find the more that we get into the healing aspects of sound and more that we are musical and, and maybe doing sound healing full-time the more silence we need the more subtlety absolutely like no, noise is much louder than maybe it previous was so it's almost like we we need silence too <laughs> Yeah, the awareness of it, any, anything you put your awareness, you know, what do they say, uh, attention, you know, intention and attention, 
because whatever you put your attention on seems to come out louder. So once you're aware of the noise and the silence and you more into softer sounds, the quote noise of the world is appears louder, even though obviously it's not louder than it was, but our awareness of it has gone up just in the same way visually. If all of a sudden, you know, like I had, I bought a, 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 green, a green Subaru once about 10 years ago and I'd never seen one ever anywhere. Oh, this is a cool forest green color. I swear to God, every other car was a forest green Subaru because my attention was there. So same thing with Sonic with our ears. When we put our attention, we hear, like I could right now, I could stop and, and where I am right now, the only, I'm really, I live in the woods also, so it's very quiet. I have a brook and it bubbles, but the refrigerator is the most prominent sound in my house. I mean, I like my food preserved, so I keep it on, but if I had, if I could have a fridge that was quiet, my life would change. Well, let's speak a little bit to um, your surroundings. And I know it's a big influence on you and, and probably your art is your relationship with Mount Shasta. Let's talk about how that <laughs> came into your life and awareness and how you keep getting drawn back there. Yeah. Good point. It's been 50 years. I've been back and forth here. I can't seem to escape it. Uh, keep being drawn back. there's just something mystical about mountains. Everybody knows that the pilgrimages are often to mountain the Mount Kailash in, in Tibet, you know, I mean, famous people, thousands of people go there every year just to walk around the mountain. It takes a few, whatever it takes, a couple of weeks, few weeks. But Mount Shasta is, uh, it's a beautiful place. And can't really say I don't know how conscious it or how you just drawn to places I mean because I'm actually more of an ocean person than I am a mountain person I much prefer sitting at the ocean listening to the waves because I like the moistness I like the sound the waves are soothing I love the ocean drum is like one of my favorite instruments because I can I sit and practice at the ocean. I practice for hours on the ocean drum to get it just right. Like it's sounding like the ocean. And it's, and it's amazing how long it took me to really master that because it wasn't easy at first because it's so subtle and yet so powerful that rise and that fall. Just like our breath in Vipassana meditation, rising, falling, breathing in, breathing out, ocean wave come, waves go in, waves go out. So. What I, I think of the, what's, what's powerful about the mountains is the, quote, silence, is the quietness, it's the power, the force of, just even last night we drove up to the base of it and just sat and looked at it for sunset and, and just the power of that silence. And then, of course, somebody had to turn on their radio. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, and I can just notice my annoyance. Like, people come here for the silence and the quietness, you know, Blasting your music is kind of rude, right? And then, you, well, this is a human condition. You know, we like, we feel lonely in the silence. So there's a lot of kind of isolated loneliness you get to deal with being in the mountain, being near the mountain, because it calls you inward, calls you to be still. The mountain is still. So there's, the ocean is movement. The mountain is, 
So my dream is to have like a mountain and ocean right next to it. That's where I'd like to live. Boulder, California was a famous postcard that went around for a while. It was a joke, right? But they had the, they had the Rocky Mountains and they had the California coast. Greetings from Boulder, California, right? So it was like somebody's fantasy. And the only place I know in the world is in Japan. There is a place, there is a village that's pretty close to Mount Fuji and it's on the ocean. It's one place I know where there's ocean and mountain. So that stillness and that movement, which is called dynamics in music, dynamics is another huge, huge important piece to this whole sonic ceremonial experience to have that total and then the and then the you can do a whole sound healing with your voice i did it with a little kid a little baby once who was crying on somebody's shoulder i went up and i did like a five minute sound healing with my voice and the baby just went it was so just like so stillness i guess that's probably what that's probably now that i talk about it think about it stillness is probably what drew me to the mountain So let's, so that's where you are now. So let's talk about, you know, what's really present for you right now. Obviously your book, you're working on that. And I'm sure working on a book is no easy process, just not only obviously publishing and all that stuff, but really um, working through the material and getting it to where you want to be. So kind of where are you at in that process right now with your book? I'm, I'm trying to call it three quarters of the way because it's all laid out. I have all, I finally organized it in a way I love it. And I've got the stories. Uh, I've had a lot of help from different people organizing my stories. And then I came, I started with doing all the charts because then it feels like I know I'm where I'm coming from, all the different charts. And then uh, organizing the elements and the instruments and the flow. And then the invitation to practice, how to use the instruments, the technique, a little bit of history. So it's a little bit of an introduction. It's not, going to be an in-depth tome about sound healing I, I that's not my and it's not very scientific i certainly refer to science and 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 and, and uh talk about you know there's i know some scientific sound healers some students of fabian and man they are another world yeah but the tito world is what i've been drawn to that's kind of the, the more intuitive and the and the spacious and the sonic sounds as opposed to the frequencies you know specific frequencies for this disease or that so i'm at I'm, i've been honing it down and i feel like i'm about three quarters it's all laid out it's all organized now it's a matter of like going through and, and oh well, that needs to be fluffed up well that could be cut down and get rid of that and this divergent over there so it's about three quarters of the way but it's been pretty arduous like really honing it down and creating a coherent container for for a coherent body of work that actually holds together because my first book was a series of vignettes about my life in music so it was a little freer i'm realizing now i was able to just go anywhere i wanted to i laid it out in five journeys you know awakening to the path on the path challenges on the path letting go of the path i had five sections so it was like but it was pretty free 
Now this feels like I need to be, the first chapter needs to relate to the last chapter. So I go through the elements one by one. I introduce the elements and what, they're about, what they are to me and the nature of the elements. And then I go through the instruments related to the five elements. And then I, final chapter is harmonizing the elements, putting together a sound journey using the, so it's been really fun. So it really holds together well. I love it. Now it's just a matter of, of, you know, trying not to fabricate any false weirdness or coming up with some little fact that's completely not true or trying to justify, well, maybe that is true for me, but maybe it's not, you know, so a lot of cleaning up of, of, uh, it's really been a process. I mean, you go through and you realize, well, you, I know all these things if I have a conversation with someone. I can talk about almost anything. But putting it in like a syllabus, it's basically a syllabus for a course, really. And so then it has to be, it has to be not only clear and contained, but not go off on too many tangents that distract people down. If I start bringing in the five elements of Ayurveda or something and relating them to it, like, people go, well, what's that? And then they'll go off and Google that, you know, and they'll be completely like lost to what I'm trying to come to an actual sonic ceremonial experience that someone can create. So yeah, it's been, I'm hoping I'm saying about three quarters of the way. Uh, I'm hoping for late summer, early September. And so uh, that's, um, that's where I'm at now. So if anybody on here wants to find me and be a re early reviewer of the book, they can go to soundscapeoasis.com and send me an email and I'm sending out early copies to people who want to read it and review it for me. Okay, so <laughs> that's gonna be fun. I've got some really good people, even some real sound, famous sound healers are like, oh, that sounds interesting, you know, because we're all learning so much all the time like constantly, like the littlest thing. It's, it's amazing, like just, wow, that, wow, that's cool. You know, that's, I love that. And that's one of the main reasons I started this podcast was just to experience different perspectives. I mean, we're always learning and it's so limitless. That's what, that curiosity um, is what keeps uh, us inspired, I think, and sparked, right? Yeah. I really wanted to do something like this about three or four years ago because I've, I've, uh, uh, I've met so many. I've known me, I was a music director for 20 years, and so I would always have musicians from all over the country coming in, right? So I, at a certain point, I really wanted to do, I may still, I wanted to do like a sound healing podcast, but actually do a musical collaboration with each artist. So like instead of talking, we would do an actual performance together in live, get together live in a studio and we'd talk about our we'd share our instruments and we'd play together and that was my vision for doing a a, a youtube channel about yeah jamming with sound healers you know that's well maybe so, that's yet to come yeah maybe that's now yet we have about what's now but that i mean the amount of work each of these things takes is off oh, the charts yeah. yeah doing a podcast i mean that's amazing that you're pulling it off and teaching and organizing all the other things you're doing. It's, it's phenomenal. Oh yeah. You know what though? And I see it in you too. If you love it, it's, you know, you just love it. And it's just uh, such a rich experience to have these, all these different facets of, uh, of this path. Yeah. Well, so um, we're going to play a track here at the end of this episode. Do you want to 
uh, let everyone know what it is that we'll be listening to. Uh, yeah, this is a track from my Soundscape Oasis album, which I, I recorded uh, during the whole uh, world situation that we went through recently. I went online and and I did like 60, 60 in one year and 30 or 40 the next year, probably over 100 online concerts. And I started recording them and... Uh, and and I got and this particular one was nice, so I took these tracks from a live performance, and I call my experience my sonic ceremony, the Soundscape Oasis, and so I just titled this album the Soundscape Oasis, and this is a track from that album. I think it's called uh, Early Morning Meditation. It's the flute and the shruti box. I use a looper, so I like to have the drone going, and then I bring in, I have maybe, I have 30 or 40 different flutes and I put them together in various ways. And, and one thing, I use a looper very different from most people is I never make it rhythmic. I always, it's always spatial. I'm going for this, the spaciousness of it. That's my secret technique actually, is to make it super spacious so the mind is like this. But underneath it, once it's going, I'll bring in an entrainment rattle or a feather, or a shake, you know, some kind of movement, or a drum, you know, doom, under like a slow pulse underneath this, like three or four minute loop, with all these flutes just rising and falling, so it feels like that you're just floating in the clouds, but then you're grounded, so I love the, the container of that, of the rhythm, and the spaciousness, that was my theory that I've been playing with the last three or four years, and so this piece, my, I don't know if I actually played a rattle in this one or not. It may be just more floaty. But I definitely, the reason there's a lot of flutes in it is that I layer them with the looper. So you're going to play it when we're done? Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for submitting that. And, and everybody will get to listen to that here next. We could talk all day, couldn't we? I know. I know. <laughs> It's been so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, buddy. This has been wonderful. And there's, so, yeah, you're right. There's so much more we could talk about. So yeah, thank well, you. We so will. We yeah. will. Thank you.